Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, welcome to the Grove. If this is your first time or you are back and this is home for you, it's so good to have you here. My name's Stephen, and this is my first Sunday here of the year, and so it is so good to be back with you. Uh, hopefully you got to spend some time over the holidays hanging with the homies like Billy did, but I'm so glad that you are with us this morning. We are in week two of a sermon series called You in Five Years. Now, when I was a kid, I loved choose-your-own-adventure novels. They were one of my favorite types of books to read, and if you're not familiar with the concept, uh, it's pretty self-descriptive, but there were stories that as you would read along in the narrative, you were kind of the main character, and you were often presented with a choice. So if the story was about you found yourself on a deserted island, well, it said if you'd like to check out the river and see where the river goes, turn to page 27. If you'd like to climb the mountain and to get a look at the island that you're on, turn to page 42. And then you would do either of those two choices and then the story would continue and based on your previous choices, it would lead you to new choices and then you'd have another set of choices to make and so on and so on and so on. And eventually you would come to some conclusion or some ending to the story that you were following based on the choices that you had made. Now, I wanted to make sure that when I would read these stories, it ended in a positive way. I wanted to make sure that I had the best, the most optimal version of the story that I was reading possible. So I was a smart kid, so I thought, and I was like, well, I'm going to keep my fingers in the pages that allow me to go back and make a different choice if I don't like the choice that I made. So every fork in the road that I would come to, I'd stick a finger in there. And then I would read on and make a choice. And if I didn't like that, I would back up. Now, what inevitably would happen is I would get several choices in. And so I'd have like one whole hand of fingers sprawled out through the different pages, trying to make sure that I got to the optimal version of the story possible. Now, if you're reading Choose Your Own Adventure novels, that's a really effective strategy. In fact, if I would recommend you do that because you can make sure you get to where you want to go. Unfortunately, that's not how our lives work. It's not an effective strategy. It's not even a possible strategy for the way that we live our lives. Inevitably, we're presented with choices, opportunities, paths we can go down in this life. And for a lot of them, they're irreversible. You know, once you have the decision to have kids, you've made the decision to have kids. And so you're down that road whether you want to go back to the page that you turn to or not. You know, if you decide that you want to move to a new state, at least for the time being, you've made the decision to move to a new state and so forth. You understand that the consequences of undoing those decisions, if you can undo those decisions, are oftentimes far more substantial than just going back to the last finger that you were in. So if that's the case, it makes sense that we should be really thoughtful and really intentional with the choices we make in the direction that our lives head. That's what this whole series is all about. How do we make sure that five years from now, or 15 years from now, or depending on how old you are, six months from now, whatever time frame is the appropriate time frame for you, you end up in the story, in the version of the story that you want, that's best for you, that's filled with the most life and the most satisfaction, the most meaning and significance possible. We all chase after different things, but 
all of our hopes with our choices and decisions and behaviors in life, whether we're conscious of them or not, is to move towards and to pursue that which we long for and desire most. So last week, we said that no matter what we do, we all end up somewhere. Inevitably, when you wake up tomorrow and the day after and the day after that, eventually, five years from now, you will find yourself someplace. The question is, do you like where you found yourself? Do you like the place that you're in in the future? And how do we begin to think about that today in the present? So we all end up somewhere, but few of us, we end up somewhere on purpose. So how do we make sure, to the course of these conversations today and the weeks that follow, how do we make sure that five years from now we end up somewhere on purpose? What does that look like? And to do that, we talked about how important it was to have a vision for your life. How significant it was that to just kind of aimlessly wander through life with no long-term vision or plan makes it really difficult to end up somewhere on purpose. You will definitely end up somewhere. But probably not where you want to end up. It's probably not somewhere intentionally. It's probably not somewhere on purpose. So we have to have a vision for our lives. Now, when I was in college, it was my junior year, I had gone through some significant life changes. I had changed my majors. I had ended a significant relationship. I was ready for a new trajectory for my life, a new vision for my life. And so I sat down and I made a list of all of the things that I wanted for myself in the future. It was a list of about 26 items long about the type of things that I would see in my life in the future, the type of things that could be described about me in the future. And I'm not a sentimental person. I don't keep stuff, but I actually have the list. Um, Yeah, from college. And I'm not going to read it because it's wildly embarrassing, extremely naive, and really shallow. (laughs) Really shallow. Uh, as I looked through this, through this list, uh, I made a list of a bunch of adjectives that I wanted to be described by. And then I put a bunch of qualifiers. So I'll read you one. I, would, I said when I was 20 that I wanted to be witty, but not like a comedian or silly, just witty. I wanted to be charming, but not sleazy. <laughs> I wanted to be refined, but not boring. Classy, but not antiquated. Well-mannered, but not uptight. My parents had a lot of work to do with me. Uh, But I decided that I needed a vision for who I wanted to become. And so I made this list. And for some reason, I kept this list. I haven't really looked back on this list, but what I noticed as I was looking through the list this morning or this weekend, kind of preparing for this message, is that you could categorize all of the adjectives and all the things on this list as as external. There were things that I hoped for myself, the size of the house that I would live in, the the tax bracket that I would be in, the attractiveness of my significant other spouse, like all of these things, this is what went in, you know, body fat percentage, you know, you know, deadlift mat, all these weird, this is just, this is what you're dealing with. I just, just heads up. And so, but all of the categories fit into the external version, the external life, the exterior, the appearance of. And what I noticed is that there was nothing that went deeper. This is something I've been working through for 20 years, but there's nothing that went to like the substance, to the character, to the inner life. And I think that if maybe you're like me, we often do this when we set a vision for our lives in the future. Or maybe when we make New Year's resolutions, 
There's a percentage of weight we'd like to lose or there's a job that we'd like to gain or a new neighborhood we'd like to move into or a school that we hope our child will be accepted to. And none of these things are bad in and of themselves, but they're all external. And because of that, I think ultimately, those visions that we set for ourselves based on these external categories are incomplete. Because the assumption that we're making is that if we can accomplish and achieve and have everything that we want for ourselves externally, we'll be able to find the meaning and the significance and the fulfillment in life that we want. That's what we believe based on our actions, based on the way that we set visions for ourselves in the future, based on the way that we set resolutions. Now, we know that's not true. All we have to do is turn on the news or look at the gossip columns in magazines to recognize that if just achieving the external things that we want in life was sufficient or enough, then the people who live in Hollywood, the people who live you know, east and west of Central Park in New York City would be the happiest people on earth. And we know that's not true. We all know people in our lives who have everything that we think we want and they are utterly miserable. They've achieved all of the academic achievements possible. They've got into the best schools. They have the greatest educational pedigree and they're still unhappy. They've made more money than is imaginable. You don't even understand the amount of zeros that are in their net worth portfolio. And yet they don't know what to do with it. They don't know where to spend it. They're just bored and lonely and searching for meaning and fulfillment. Now this isn't true of everybody who has these things. Again, these things in and of themselves aren't bad. They're just incomplete. And so as we begin to think about who we wanna be in five years, I think we have to begin to consider that maybe we need to move past just the external. And in fact, as we look at scripture, we see this being taught again and again and again that the external alone is incomplete. It's insufficient because ultimately it's what's inside that makes the biggest difference and impact in our lives. Jesus uses this metaphor uh, with some religious teachers about a cup. And he says, woe to you, you religious leaders, you church people. All you focus on is the external of this cup. Now, what happens here at the Grove a lot is you bring in beautiful coffee mugs like this every Sunday. I'm glad for it. Uh, but many of you forget your coffee mugs on Sundays. Maybe you have lost a coffee mug here. It's like the elephant graveyard of coffee mugs in the back room. But inevitably, inevitably what ends up happening is we take these coffee mugs and we set them in the back waiting for the owner to come back and retrieve them. And so then when someone comes back to get them, uh, we hand them the coffee mug and they go about their way. Now, every now and then I'll show up on a weekday and I'll say, you know what, I need, I would like some coffee. So I make some coffee and I'm like, Instead of using paper, which I have to throw away, why don't I use one of these beautiful coffee mugs? So thank you for the coffee mugs that you lend to me for my regular coffee habits during the week. Now here's the problem, is most of the time, and I'm not pointing fingers at my staff, we don't wash these out. And so there have been lots of mornings where I show up to get coffee, I open up one of your beautiful coffee mugs, and I gag, because of what's growing and living inside. I don't know that it has names. Even this one's still got a little mold in it, so I'm going to keep that away from my face. But this is what happens. We, we forget about the contents. We forget about the interior. 
and it grows and it festers and this fungus and mold begins to spread because of all the milk and sugar we put in our stuff and it begins to grow and next thing we know when we try to use these coffee mugs we wouldn't dare use them and the reason is not because of what they look like on the outside the reason is because of the contents on the inside we know that what is inside eventually comes out you see this all throughout our lives you see this all around the world the issues that we have in society, the issues that culture is desperately trying to solve are internal issues. The loneliness, the anxiety, the addiction, the substance abuse, all of these are external manifestations of an internal issue. We're not good in here. And it manifests eventually externally. And so society teaches us all of these different external strategies to solve the internal issues but inevitably it never, ever works because it can't get to the heart of the issue. It can't get to the heart of our issues, which ultimately is our heart. And so what Jesus says to these religious leaders is he says, all you do is you spend time focusing on the outside of the cup, polishing, cleaning, while inside you're filled with self-indulgence and greed. He says, shame on you. Wash the inside of the cup and the outside of the cup will be taken care of in the process. Wash the inside of the cup. Take care of your inner life, and your external life will be taken care of in the process. We know this to be true. We see examples of this. We see people in news and in stories and in sports, people who have overcome unbelievable external circumstances. We're just amazed at the difficulties that they've overcome, the tragedies they've endured, the heartache and the heartbreak that they've survived. And yet somehow they have joy, they have peace, they're able to move forward in life. And we're puzzled by this because if you just look at the surface, if you look at the external, it doesn't make sense. It shouldn't lead to the internal character and the internal state that they possess. Because that's because what's external never makes its way internal. But what's internal always makes its way external. And so if this is the case, if this is the reality of our lives, how do we become intentional about not just setting an external vision for ourselves in five years, but how do we become hyper-intentional about prioritizing, about focusing on our internal life? How do we begin to look at what's inside of us that inevitably makes its way outside of us and always and ultimately makes a difference in the quality of our lives. How do we do that? Well, fortunately for us, Jesus shows us how. Now, this search for meaning, this search for fulfillment, this lifelong quest that the human soul has, that it constantly pursues, that is a fact that everybody who has ever lived has always been in pursuit of something bigger than themselves, whether they're aware of it or not. This has been something that's existed from the beginning of humanity. And so the story that we're gonna look at and the conversation that we're gonna look at with Jesus and a religious leader is based on this search. It's based on the same premise that we're exploring in this series, you in five years. It's this idea that we want to be somewhere in the future. We wanna have something in the future. There is a version of our own life that we would love to have. And we just need help to know how to get there. So this, is what happens. This is in the Gospel of Luke. It says, just then, 
a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? Now, we need to know a couple of things about this context. The first thing is this type of interrogation and this type of like, Jesus, what do you say about this was really normal. It was really normal in this time period. This is how uh, followers or students learn from the rabbis about how to live life, what to do, what not to do. They would ask them questions because everybody was hyper-literate about what the Bible said at that time, what the scriptures and the, and the Torah said about how they should live life. But what was up open to interpretation was the way that that manifested in their day-to-day life. So the interpretation was open to kind of question and uncertainty and scrutiny. And so these people who would follow these religious leaders would gather around and say, okay, help me understand this one passage. Now that's not wholly indifferent from what we do, but this was kind of the nature and the background context for this question and this conversation that Jesus and this religious leader have. So just then a religion scholar stood up, as was really normal, and said, teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? Now, this question about gaining eternal life over time has changed in the meaning of those words eternal life have changed for us. They mean something different. My guess is when most of us see this, when most of us read this, we read, how do I get into heaven? Right? That's not the question that this religious leader was asking. It wasn't based on how do I eventually get to someplace else? The question was, teacher, How do I find as much meaning in life as possible? How do I find life beyond life? How do I find the fullest, the richest, the most abundant life possible now in this life? That was the question that they were asking. How do I discover the the way to live as God intended us to live? How can we find all the meaning, purpose, fulfillment, happiness that I innately desire in my core? And so the reason that we're looking at this story is because I think that's the question that we ask in this series. Is we all want this life. We all want this life beyond life, this abundant, rich, overflowing life. We just don't know how to get there. And we have a lot of opinions and a lot of suggestions coming to us from our friends, from society, from culture, from media, all informing or suggesting how it is we achieve this. And so Jesus responds to his question with a question. Jesus replied, What is written in the law? The set of instructions that God has given to humanity to help guide them towards this life beyond life, this abundant rich life. What is written in the law? And how do you interpret it? What is your understanding about what God says about how you're supposed to achieve this life? This is the question that Jesus poses back to this religious leader. And so this is what this guy says. This is what he says back. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now what he's doing is he's combining two well-known laws that existed in the Jewish scriptures, combining them together. One's out of Deuteronomy and the other one's out of Leviticus. Now, if you look elsewhere in the Gospels, often Jesus is asked a version of this question, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he answers in the same way. So depending on which Gospel you read, there is consensus 
that all of the law, all of the instructions that God gives to humanity, all of the rules and suggestions for life that he wants us to follow and live by are synthesized and distilled into this statement. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what the religious leader says to Jesus as his answer as to how he finds life in the fullest sense possible. And Jesus responds. He says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, my guess would be that Jesus' answer to our version of this same question would be similar. I don't know that anything has changed in 2,000 years since this conversation took place. My guess would be if we said, Jesus, listen, five years from now, I want to find abundant life. Jesus, I want access to eternal life, life beyond life, life lived the way that God has intended us to. How do I find this? How do I access this? Jesus would respond the same way this religious leader did. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, it is not unintentional that Jesus answers in this manner. There's a reason that Jesus answers in this way, and it's similar to the reason that Jesus criticizes the religious leaders about their lack of cleaning the inside of their cup. Because Jesus recognizes that when you begin to transform your inner life, your exterior life changes in the process. But the, but the converse is not true. When you begin to change your exterior life, it does not always change your inner life. And so watch what Jesus says. Watch what happens in this instruction about how our life is changed, how our life can be changed through loving God with our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, and our neighbor from the inside out. To help us with this, I've created a little illustration. So, first thing that Jesus says is love the Lord your God with all your heart. The heart, as scripture understands it, as was used in this time, is not the thing of emotion, the thing that beats fast when you see your significant other or attractive member of you know, the opposite sex. It's not the thing that beats fast when you see it. That's not what they're referring to. They're talking about kind of the executive center of your life, of your being. It's the thing that is often called will or spirit. It's the thing that points you in the direction that your life goes. It's the thing that longs for something. It's the, where desire comes from, not the relational desire, but the orientation of your life desire. When you long for something, that's what they're talking about. And so Jesus says the first place that we have to start is love of God and orientation towards God at our innermost core in our heart. Now, what Jesus understands and what we need to understand this morning is just like an organization works, the organization follows the direction of the CEO. It's not identical and it's not perfect and sometimes there's some disagreements about what that direction may be, but so is true of our life and our bodies. When we orient our heart towards something, typically our life, our bodies, they begin to follow. It's not always perfect and there might be some disagreements about how you get there or what you're actually chasing after. But Jesus recognizes that, listen, if you want to transform your inner life because you want to experience in your external life the abundant life that is waiting for us, you first have to begin with the heart. Orienting your heart 
desiring first and foremost over anything else in your life, God. Next is what they use to call the mind. Now for us, this would be our thoughts and feelings. And our thoughts and feelings, they're always paired together. Those things we think about, those things that come across our brain, and then our responses, our attitudes, our feelings about the things that we think about. So as we begin to transform our heart, Jesus is saying that our mind begins to be transformed also. When we orient our lives towards pursuing God, towards loving God with our entire being, it begins to change the content and the character of the things that we think about. This is why in some of Paul's letters, he says, you know, think about the things that are good and true and noble and right and pure and just and holy. Meditate on these things. Why? Because Paul knows that as we begin to transform our thinking, it begins to transform the way that we feel about things. And so when we orient our heart towards God, it helps reorient our mind, our thoughts and our feelings towards God. And then comes the next layer, the soul. This would what we would call our being, our entire person, maybe our character. This is kind of everything that's included in heart, thoughts, feelings. And so Jesus is recognizing that as you start to move from the inside out, it begins to capture your entire person. Maybe you've had an experience with somebody who they, you haven't seen them in a while, and maybe they show up at a party, or maybe you go home for the holidays and you meet this person, and they seem totally transformed. Maybe you're married to somebody who has kind of undergone some type of religious conversion, and you're not married to the same person you were because of the way that their entire being, their entire soul has been transformed by the work of God in their life. They're the same person. They look the same. They just, they're, but they're not the same. Do you know what I mean? Or maybe you've experienced somebody who's had a lot of external things happen to them. They, you know, made a lot of money or they, you know, achieved some amount of fame or status. And then you experience them and encounter them. And you're like, well, they're still the same person. Like nothing about them has changed that thing about them that you're referring to, that's this, that's this word soul, that's the being, the essence of the person. And again, from there, it continues to grow and it moves into our strength. This would kind of be how we understand our behaviors, our actions, the choices we physically make in our life, the way that we go about our day, the things that we touch or don't touch or consume or don't consume that would fall under this category. And you, so you can see how these things build, kind of like those like Russian nesting dolls, you know, the small one and the big one, it grows and grows and grows. The same is happening with the way that our internal life, our inner heart can be transformed and then it spills over into our thoughts and feelings and then into our soul or being and then into our actions and our choices. And then the last category, working itself from the inside out. It begins to impact our relationships the way that we treat people, the way that we interact with people. Jesus is saying, listen, if you love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, your thoughts, your feelings, with all of your soul, with your being, with everything about yourself, with the actions that you make and don't make, and with the way that you relate to people, this is the way that you clean the inside of your cup. And when you can transform and renew and change your inner life, you will have and you will experience eternal life. Now, what I think is interesting about this is when we do this, Jesus says, if we do this, we will live. Nowhere is this more apparent and more obvious, ironically, than at funerals. Now, 
professional you know, hazard is I have to attend or officiate a lot of funerals. And let me tell you, there's a big difference between officiating a funeral of somebody who's gotten this right and somebody who hasn't. It is really difficult to stand up and to talk about the life of someone who only pursued the external, who only pursued fortune or power or success, achievement, all of these external factors. It is really hard to stand up and talk about their life because inevitably what ends up happening is because they've pursued the external, they have forgotten to take care of and clean all of the interior life. And so most of the time, there's broken relationships with their family and friends. Oftentimes, there's this kind of hushed, unspoken, they weren't really that great of a person, or he was kind of a jerk, or she wasn't very nice, that pervades kind of the conversations about the person as we're sitting there trying to acknowledge and honor their life. But when they get this right, it is so easy to officiate those kind of funerals. It is so easy to stand up and talk about the legacy and the impact of somebody whose inner life has been totally transformed by their love of God. I mean, you almost don't have to say anything. Everybody knows. Everybody has a story. Everybody has an experience of what this person was like to interact with, what this person was like to be in a relationship with, what this person was like behind closed doors when nobody else could see them. What's amazing about this, which isn't the case when people fail to get this right, is the people that love and admire these people most are not their acquaintances, their business partners, it's their family. Their family loves this person because they saw what few see. At their very core, they were good and they were God-centered and God-focused. And it meant that the things that they thought about and the, the feelings and the emotions that they expressed, the words that they used, the choices that they made, the actions that they engaged in were all aligned towards honoring and loving God with their entire life. And those type of people inspire life in other people. That's why this eternal life is this life beyond life, this abundance, this overflowing of life that is possible for us today. And it's also possible for us five years from now. And so I wanna leave you with one simple homework assignment. It's a small prayer. It is a prayer that I try to say every single day. And it's simple. God, less of me, more of you. God, less of me, more of you. In my heart and in my mind and in my soul and in my being and in my body and my actions and my choices and in my relationships, God. God, less of me and more of you. Because Jesus promises us, you do this and you will live. Imagine the kind of life that you could have five years from now that you could have five months from now, five weeks from now, if you did this. That's my prayer for all of us. Let me pray for us this morning. Gracious and loving God, we stand here so grateful for the love that you have for each one of us. It is a love that works in us and transforms us and helps us to become more like you. God, the good news today is that we don't have to do this on our own. It is not about how hard we try. Your love and your grace, it's not about effort or earning. 
but it's about receiving and allowing you to work in us. So God, this morning, that's what I ask, that with each one of us, you would begin to transform our inner life, to help us love you with our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength, and that we would love our neighbor as ourself. This is our prayer this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.